Okay, I want to introduce uh, Scott O'Neill. Scott lives in uh, Washington. He's married to his wife, Christy, for 16 years. They have three children. Uh, he can tell you uh, the details about his children. And uh, needless to say, it's a busy time at the O'Neill household. Scott is two classes away from completing his master's in theology at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's he uh, has preached in a variety of churches in central Illinois and is very excited to serve the body of Christ as a pastor if the Lord opens the door. Please welcome Scott as he opens up the words to us. to be with you this morning, and I'm super thankful <laughs> to fill in for Pastor Joe while he's on a bit of a pandemic pause, if you will. Uh, over the next couple weeks, um, I've gotten to know Joe and, and his family, and he has become really a dear friend of mine and a great mentor to me. Uh, his wife Karen and him have encouraged my wife Christy and I in the work we believe God is calling us to, and Frankly, being around the whole family has always been a joy and, and I believe has helped us be more prepared for what God has in store for us. Um, I think the horns have become just a part of our family, right? An extended part of our family. And family, as you know, is, is super important. But the nuclear family at home and the larger Christian family right here in the local church and and as I got to thinking about that, I was reminded of a conversation that I had with some friends some time ago. Uh, we had a couple over our house for some after-dinner dessert that my wife made. It was super delicious, as most things that she cooks are. And we talked about a variety of topics. Uh, one specifically, the family. And um, what makes up the characteristics of a good family? And that picture became a little bit more clear to me as we traveled to North Carolina for Thanksgiving last year. Um, we had a great trip to the mountains, and we celebrated a holiday with friends and family, and it was a wonderful time, a wonderful time. Um, but celebrations like that don't happen on their own, right? Um, they require people to have certain responsibilities, and there's some foundations that we work from to help that day go a little smoothly. Um, things, simple things like the kids taking the coats for everybody and putting them in the main bedroom, right? Uh, in our family, the women do all the cooking, praise the Lord, and you will have, if you join us next year, you're all welcome. Some of the greatest stuff you'll ever have, for sure. Uh, the men are kind of utility players, right? We, we are take out the trash and set the table, keep Sam from eating the desserts, right, Sam? Um, and uh, uh, we pray, and then we kind of dig in to the food. And eventually we all clean up the mess, and there's a lots of laughter and stories. And sometimes there's a really good football game on the TV, right? Um, and those important pieces of the puzzle, they start fitting together as the day unfolds, right? We serve one another. We, we give thanks. There's a lot of love with hugs and kisses along the way. The older ones help the younger ones to understand why we do certain things. And a good celebration is had by everybody. 
And that doesn't, the day wasn't easy, right? It certainly is not easy. Um, but there's a lot of joy as it all sort of comes together. Those foundations of service and thankfulness, growing, teaching, etc., etc., all help to create such a wonderful time. And I think God's family is very much the same way. Right? When we gather, there are pieces of the puzzle that have to come together for our celebration to be wonderful with one goal in mind. And that goal is to be a family that glorifies God. If God's family is going to be a good family, one that glorifies him, there are a few foundations that we need to lay for that to happen. A few pieces of the puzzle need to come together. And we have to joyfully serve Jesus, always being thankful for a family that grows together into mature Christians for the glory and praise of God. Not surprisingly, the Bible has quite a lot to say about this very thing, right? And we could spend the morning explore, exploring the scriptures of how that happens, but I really don't think we need to look much further than the book of Philippians. Um, I think that we'll see that it takes shape, those foundations take shape as we explore these first 11 verses in the book of Philippians. If you brought your Bibles with you, open them up to the book of Philippians. We're going to be right there in chapter 1. And just, while you're making your way over there, let me just say thank you. Thank you so much for being with me today, for joining the church today. Thank you to the elders and the leaders in the church for giving me the absolute privilege of standing up here, opening up the Word of God today. Um, If you would, I want to pray uh, before we open up the Word and read the Scriptures, okay? Let's pray, if you don't mind. Father in Heaven, Lord God, we come now and we fall on Your grace this morning. Asking you, Father, to be faithful one more time. Lord God, as we open your word, would you make your presence known to us this morning and teach us the way we should go. Guide us, Lord, in your truth and teach us, for you are the God of our salvation and we wait for you all day long. Father, we need you, so please come come and quicken our hearts so we can experience your faithful your faithful love this morning. Father, we pray in the powerful, everlasting name of Jesus. Amen. Well, let's read Philippians 1, starting in verse 1 today. The Bible says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who were in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse number three, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I'm sure of this, that he who started good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart, and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you may approve 
the things that are superior, and be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Friends, if you're anything like me, you could gloss over those important introductions of letters in the Bible. Sometimes these first few verses, right, they set the tone and point us in the right direction as we read and study the body of the letter or of that book. And, and this introduction to the Philippians lays the foundation for a family that glorifies God. Let's look at verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and, and deacons. I mean, Paul and T- Timothy, we could spend all morning exploring the scriptures and building a theology on faithful Christian service by looking at the ministry of these two brothers. Um, we don't have all that time, of course. Uh, so very briefly, let me just remind us that Paul, a.k.a. Saul, was a Pharisee. And he was taken down really hard on the road to Damascus where he met Jesus and eventually got saved. He was a pastor, a preacher, a church planter, a missionary. Probably, arguably, the greatest witness of Christian faithfulness the world has ever known. Timothy, his protege, pastor, evangelist, and teacher, sound doctrine. These are some of the fathers of the faith, people that we should look up to, revere, um, model ourselves after. So I find it really interesting. This letter starts out with the phrase, servants of Jesus Christ. Or Christ Jesus, actually, now that I look at that. Um, Why not Paul's authority, right? That's how he opens up a lot of his other letters. Right? I mean, if anyone deserves to be recognized for their service to the Lord, it would certainly be the Apostle Paul. I mean, all we have to do is look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11 to see the resume of suffering service that Paul has brought forth to the church. An extraordinary resume. So, why servants? Well, I believe Paul sets this foundation from the get-go because he knows that this church exists smack dab in the middle of a Roman-ruled city. But it's not just any city, it's Philippi. And Philippi is filled with all kinds of people from all kinds of cultures, with all kinds of beliefs. More importantly, it's controlled by Rome, by a group of retired elite military forces. And and these, these people are zealous for all things Rome. They serve Rome and Caesar. And this... Admittedly, sounds a little bit like the USA. Right? We're a melting pot of cultures around the world. And we're known for being a people that think an awful lot of ourselves and certainly the country that we live in. I think Paul's making this really profound statement right out of the get-go, right, right from the first gate, by identifying himself and Timothy as servants of Christ. Friends, he's reminding us that a family that glorifies God, a good family, has only one master, and that's Jesus. Not Rome, Caesar, certainly not the U.S. government or its president. Christians need to be continually reminded that we serve Christ alone. 
Now that word servant there is an important word in verse 1. It actually means slave. And Paul starts this letter out. Paul's inspired to write this first phrase, excuse me, and use the word slave because he wants us to know who the master really is. Who's really in control of everything that's happening. And the Bible says that our master, and he's the king of all kings is what it says in Revelation. And we belong to him. We don't belong to our cities, our counties, our country. Not to the Caesars of this world. We belong to the one who paid the ultimate price for us. Right? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. The price was the blood of the king himself. What a hefty price and a beautiful price to pay for a family. Dear friends, we serve, we all serve something. For some, it's the job or dream of a job. I certainly do that. For others, it's their kids. Oh, the college that they might get into. Maybe it's the vacation or the sports team or the country and the leaders that are over them. We can become so zealous about so many things. We can serve the idols that so easily capture our heart instead of serving only the only master, the one who has actually set us apart for salvation. I want to draw your attention to this word saints here in verse 1 as well. The word saints there means to be set apart. Right, upon the confession of your faith in Jesus, God marked you for service to the master. It's not something you did. It's something he did. Right? You haven't earned it and you certainly don't deserve it. I, I don't. But God did it, right? First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So whether you're a leader in Christ's church or a layperson being led, whether you're an overseer or a deacon, or a greeter at the door. You've been set apart as a servant of a master. And as his slaves, we serve him wherever we are and wherever we go. We do that with joy because he's such a gracious and merciful, patient and loving master. And Romans 5, 8 reminds us, for a while we were still helpless, right? So for a while we were still sinners at the right time. Christ died for the ungodly. And I love my family. I do. I love my family. I love my church. I enjoy a good, relaxing vacation. I love being up here talking with you. But all of that pales in comparison to the Master and what He did to purchase us. To the one who shined His glorious light on me. And that truly boggles the mind of those who are still living in darkness. Why would someone so joyfully serve Jesus? Why would they consider themselves a servant or a slave to Christ? I think it's because what he says in verse number two. Grace to you and peace. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I just tell you this morning that our God is a God of great grace? A God of great 
grace. Paul wants the Philippians, he wants us to not forget about the grace of God and the peace found in Christ. Dear ones, I don't want you to look past this most important truth this morning. It's probably the most important truth of the first 11 verses, certainly the most important thing that I'm going to tell you today. You're a saint in Christ because of God's grace. You're a leader in Christ's church because of God's grace. You serve the Lord because of God's grace. You have peace with God because of His grace. I want us to be humbled this morning by God's amazing grace. Have you experienced the grace of God today? Do you know the peace of being purchased by Christ? Church, are you sold out for the Master? If you take only one thing away this morning, only one thing, I want you to know that God, that God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son from heaven, born of a virgin, fully God, fully man. And the son Jesus lived the life we could never live, perfectly obedient and completely faithful. He willingly, he willingly went to the cross and poured his blood out on Calvary to pay the debt that we owe God for our unrighteousness, for our sin. He sacrificed himself for us and died the death that we deserve for our disobedience. Oh, but then he rose again, right on the third day, giving everyone who calls on his name the hope of eternal life. The Bible tells us when we disobey God, when we sin, it separates us from him. And the only only bridge back to God is through Jesus Christ. But today... At the hearing of these words, I call you, church, here, those who are watching online, repent and turn to Christ today and know the peace of serving the only master, the Lord Jesus. Let your hearts be filled in a fresh way if you know the Lord this morning. Right? When you give your life to the one who gave up his, this amazing, supernatural working of God happens in the middle of your heart, right? It gives you this overflowing and joyful thankfulness for your family, for the saints in Christ. It's implanted right there in the middle of your heart, and we see that in verse number three. The Bible says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. Just take notice of how Paul's thankfulness kind of consumes these verses. I give thanks for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. I spent a little bit of time studying these words every and always. And after looking at them from every direction, I think I realized what Paul really means by these. It means that we should always, always be thankful. Every time we think of a member of our family in Christ, we should be thankful To God for them. Every opportunity to serve Christ, we should be thankful. When someone offers to pray for us, oh, how we should be thankful. It's the kind of enduring thankfulness that's a hallmark of those who joyfully serve Jesus. At Colossians chapter 3, and let the peace of Christ, the peace of Christ, 
to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. But the word of Christ dwell richly among you, your family, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Right here in Philippians chapter 4, don't worry about anything. Literally, don't worry about anything, but in everything. Through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Dear friends, we need to be the evergreen of thankfulness. Amen? And what's so unique about an evergreen, right? What's so great about an evergreen is that it doesn't matter the season, whether it's a hot, whether it's the hot summer beating it down or being frozen out by the super cold winters. It doesn't matter whether there are other trees or shrubs or weeds around it that are trying to suck the life out of it. An evergreen tree is always green. It never loses its color. Right? And that should characterize the one who joyfully serves Jesus. The one who is always thankful. Listen, I know that this pandemic has created such discomfort, sorrow, and pain for so many people. We're being held captive in our homes. We've got to wear masks everywhere we go. We're not able to see kids or grandkids. Sometimes not able to be with our loved ones in the last moments of their life. We can't celebrate baptism or marriages. It's been a difficult time to endure. But Paul himself understands what hard times are like, right? He wrote this letter from a prison in Rome. And I think what helped Paul during his time of trial can also be a help to us as well. So let's look at verse 5 with me. Paul shares why he's so thankful for the, for the Philippians, why every time he prays for them, in all prayers, every time, all the time, there's never not a time, it's because of verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. When you gave your life to the Master, at the King Jesus, one of the many gifts he gave you was a family in his kingdom. God's family is a wonderful family with a very special kind of relationship. It's a very special kind of unity. In fact, this word partnership in verse 5 actually means to have an intimate relationship with someone. When we have this type of relationship with our partners in the gospel, right, with our Christian family, everything is open. We don't hold back our secret sins and avoid the challenging conversations. We bear each other's burdens as if the burden was our own, like it says in Galatians chapter 6. There's a special bond in the body of Christ that cannot be found anywhere else. It's exclusive to being Christian, but it's really eclectic in how it all is put together. I remind you, right? Galatians 3.28, there is no Jew, Greek, slave, or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ. We're not bound by region, by ethnicity, or gender, by ability. There are no age requirements for this partnership. I'm not from Washington, and I feel as close to my family when I go visit Florida in Christ than I do when I'm in my local church. 
So the question is, are you thankful? Are you thankful for the beautiful body of partners you have in the gospel? Husbands, are you thankful for your perfect helper? Are you thankful for the wife that, was, that God set apart for you as a partner in the gospel? Are you thankful for your kids in the Lord who are your partners in the gospel? I mean, how thankful should we be that from the very beginning of our attendance at a local church all the way up and through our membership and beyond, God has provided us all kinds of partners that are able to support and encourage us through the most difficult times, certainly a pandemic. Dear friends, we are not meant to go at it alone, especially in times like these, right? We have to be creative and purposeful about connecting with our family in Christ. The internet has brought a lot of bad things, but it brings a lot of wonderful things by allowing us to connect to people that are so far away so we can be encouraged and encourage them along the way. I actually read in the newspaper just yesterday that you have a 50% less chance of getting a heart attack if you have a good social system around you, if you're in contact with people. And although we're separated by the pandemic to some degree, we have so many resources that can help us gather together. Because if you're anything like me, you get life when you're around your Christian family. I come alive. I love being with my brothers and sisters. I know we're not perfect sometimes, right? Some of us are a lot less sanctified, and my wife will certainly testify to that. And there are times when we're going to mess up and do and say the wrong thing, right? But we have a front row seat to watch our family, our partnerships grow. Yeah, I know it's frustrating. And looking back, we can see how God has been doing a work all along. Even when it looks like nothing is happening. When it seems like the family is going nowhere. We joyfully serve Jesus. Always being thankful for a family that grows together. Look at verse 6 with me, if you would, please. The Bible says this, I am sure of this certainty Paul has, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus, until the day of Christ Jesus. Listen, Christians have such a bad habit of thinking that now that I'm a Christian, now that I've been saved by the gospel, the light has been shown on me, I need to work to stay a Christian. It really is it really is a cancer that has run rampant in so many places today. What we need to understand is when God started the good work in us, when he saved us, we had nothing to do with it. Right? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. You are saved by grace through faith. And this, your salvation, is not from yourself. It is God's gift. Not from work so that no one can boast. Paul had to remind the Galatians of this very thing in chapter 3. After beginning by the Spirit, after I did this amazing work in you, you're not going to finish in the flesh? The Bible tells us that God is the author, the perfecter, and the finisher of our faith. And man, it's not that way with men, right? We start things all the time. We never complete them. It happens all the time. It's going to be September. Can you believe it? It's going to be September in two days. And with September, 
is the new year. Right? It's right around the corner, and the season and the season of resolutions comes right along with it. Right? Many of us will spend time thinking of goals to improve our lives, to reach the next level, to get better and better. Right? Better fitness, better health, better vacations, better prayers, better service, better giving, better devotions, more study. I'm going to do more, right? So I can receive more. And on and on it goes, year after year. Always trying to reach those next levels. But sadly, right? After a couple of months, a distraction pops up, things begin to change, something grabs your attention, right? And before you know it, all those things that you wanted to achieve just kind of slid away to the side. All those goals were kind of laid aside. There are more important things to worry about. Even those daily devotions that we wanted to do with our families every day just kind of drifted away. But it's not that way with God, right? The Bible says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. In chapter 2 of Philippians, in verse 13, it says, For it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to His good purpose. And his good purpose is for us to be mature Christians. Where man's plans can be set aside and even forgotten about, God always finishes the work he starts, and the work he starts, friends, is always good. Even in this time of extreme separation, God is doing a good work in us and in many, many others, although it doesn't seem like it every day. And Paul's certain of this, even as he himself is separated from his family and sitting in prison. Right in this letter. He says in verse 7, Indeed, indeed, that's like a triple exclamation point. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you. Because I have you in my heart. And you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. The great grace of God creates a special kind of unity, a special kind of affection and longing for those in the body. The fruit found in servants of Jesus who are always thankful for a family that grows together is love and affection for one another. Because we know, we know we're not in it alone. Like Paul, sitting in prison. Where we go, the gospel and the family of God go with us. And we get to see the good work that God does in our family. So we shouldn't be surprised that Paul is so thankful for his partnerships in the gospel. right? For his certainty about God's good work in the church. His love and affection for his Christian brothers and sisters. We would expect to see that at varying degrees in all the saints in Christ Jesus. Because Paul has this special unity with his family of God, he does that, he does, excuse me, what I think is probably the single most essential and important thing that Christians do when they're a part of a body of Christ, when they joyfully serve Jesus, when they're always thankful for their family. He prays for his Christian family. But it's not just any ordinary prayer, right? Um... It's not. I mean, if we need anything, friends, we need prayer, right? I, I want to encourage you today. Create a prayer list for those people around you. 
those people in this local assembly, those that you know in Christ's family elsewhere, pray for them. We all need prayer. I need prayer. The elders, right? The pastors, they need heaps and heaps of prayer. The deacons, the teachers, right? the missionaries, the secretary. You here with me today, you need prayer. I mean, Jesus himself says in Matthew 21, 13, that my house will be called a house of prayer. Can I just tell you that God's plan is often activated by prayer? In these remaining two verses, Paul prays a simple but very, very significant prayer. He prays that his brothers and sisters, that his family in Christ, his partners, grow into mature Christians for the glory of God. That's what the Lord wants, and that's what we should want for our family as well. It's a glorious thing to pray for people. Let me read these two verses, and I'll try and summarize them as quickly as I, as I can. Starting in verse 9, the Bible says, And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. My dear friends, the greatest commandment we have ever been given is to love. The Bible says in Mark chapter 12, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Paul has a deep desire for our love to keep on growing. Actually, in the ESV, I think it says um, to grow more and more, an overflow of love. It's the very thing that defines the ministry of Jesus and should what define us. We love because he first loved us, is what the Apostle John writes in his first letter. We must grow in love. Not just in one area, right? But in every area of our lives, we should be saturated with love. I said this in the first service, and I think it's a great illustration, that old Mentos and Coke bottle. Science experiment. We've all kind of probably walked through that at some degree, or seen it on YouTube maybe, and participated in it in the driveway. Um, essentially, you take a two-liter bottle of Coke, right? You throw some Mentos in there, it creates this really cool reaction, Right? If you put a couple of Mentos in that Coke bottle, it kind of bubbles over and kind of boils out and gets on the ground. But man, as soon as you put in five Mentos, six Mentos, seven Mentos into a fresh bottle of Coke, it explodes out of the top like that old, like that geyser old faithful, right? And it saturates everything around you. It sticks to everything. The dog, your friends, mom and dad, the car, the driveway is sloppy with Coca-Cola. And this is the kind of love, this is the kind of growth in love that Paul wants us to see. That kind of saturation where it touches everything around us is most essential in the Christian family. And that happens because the more and more we invest in what grows our love, the more love will display itself in our lives. Some believe that accepting Jesus in your heart is the beginning and the end of the journey. That's just not so. And Jesus says in John 14, 15, we've all heard this, if you love me, keep my commandments. And the greatest commandment ever is the commandment to love. 
God's plan is for us to grow in love. And we do that by increasing our knowledge and discernment. Right? The more and more we encounter Jesus, the more we learn about him in his word in the Bible, the more our love will grow for him. And living that life that is pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness in verse 10, talks about will be made possible. It won't be easy. But the Bible doesn't promise easy. Iron sharpening iron can feel a little uncomfortable, if you know what I mean. But God knows what we need more than, than, than we do, right? So to me, the big takeaway this morning, what I hope that you take home with you this morning, is that we grow in love and live a life of love by joyfully serving Jesus. Always being thankful for a family that grows together into mature Christians. Verse 11, right there at the end of this passage. For the glory and praise of God. All of it. Everything that Paul talks about here in this introduction is for God's glory. Not for our own, right? We serve for the glory of God. We are saints in Christ for God's glory. We're always thankful because of God's glory. Our unity, our family, and the body of Christ is for God's glory. Whether we're known for a special kind of love that pleases the Lord or not, we do it all for the glory and praise of God, never for ourselves. We pour into his word, and he pours it back into us, maturing us. And I promise you, if you build your Christian life and your family on these simple foundations, I have the same confidence. I believe with Paul that your family, that this family at CBC, this amazing family, will become a family that joyfully serves Jesus, always being thankful for a family that grows together into mature Christians for the glory of God. And there's a lot that could have been said today. A lot that I left out. There could be so many things. But I think I'm with the elders and the leaders of this church and I think I agree with Paul, and I want the same thing for you that they do. That's to be a family that glorifies God. Okay? Pray with me, if you would, please. Father, Father in heaven, I thank you so much, God, for the body of Christ. And Lord, I'm especially thankful for this family right here at Sweet Coffee Bottom Church, Lord. But God, I ask you now, God, to do a fresh work in us today. Father, right now, as these words are coming out of my mouth, I speak, Lord, would you knit the hearts of this Bible-believing church together in a new and unified way? Father, would they shine and be one voice, one spirit, striving together with one hope and purpose. Help them, Lord. Help them, Holy Spirit, to joyfully serve the Savior with thankful hearts, Lord, for their wonderful family as they grow into the Christians that you so desire them to be. God, give us fresh eyes to see that today. Lord Jesus, would this be a family that glorifies you, Father? Lord, you are our treasure. So help us, help us to worship you, our Savior, our Master afresh this morning. Help us to be consumed, Lord, by your great grace and love. I pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.